what is a Scotch enthusiast called? Is there a name? Is there a name? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Only if you wow, self incriminating. Scotch-ish. Scotch, Scotch-ish. 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 Ish. Yep. No. That's how we get banned from the internet, guys. That's how we get banned. Welcome to the podcast where your hosts sample a different scotch each season while we dive into current social, political, and economic issues each episode. This is Scotch and Socialism. True event. I think I I've helped to report one podcast, but um, never done anything remotely close to a podcast. Yeah, and so it's it's definitely new, at least for me. Russ, you're rather silent. I run servers. <laughs> we should probably introduce ourselves. All right, we probably should. So uh, my name's Jacob. I am your resident artist for the evening. I'm Griff, your resident communist for the evening, and I am Russ, your resident consumer for the evening. So uh, we've been talking about recording this sort of podcast for a while, and it's kind of just come together. Griff and I are both Scotch enthusiasts. Russ, Russ is just an enthusiast. Just I, I just have a lot of free time in my hands. Yeah, uh, and has graciously allowed us to all all of us record uh, in his theater. And so um, Scotch and socialism was just kind of the alliteration, although I don't think any of us are true socialists. Uh, it's a spectrum. Yeah, it's you know more of a Bernie Sanders flavor probably, of socialist. Yeah, I would probably. I like be, cars too much to be a true communist. That's true. Like the Soviet Union just made some garbage cars. They made some garbage. Just everything. garbage. No, cars. that's actually where we got a lot of the great um, early programmers out of. I is, do not doubt that. Uh huh. We oh, just yeah. stole a lot of programmers. The company <laughs> I, mean, I work for, not naming names, uh, was more or less founded in Moscow. In the early thousands. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Um, One of the companies I worked for. So, yeah, definitely not really socialists among us, or at least for, I would argue, the dictionary. I like the idea of Eisenhower era tax rates on the 1%. That's about as socialist as I get. Yeah, I mean, granted, my leanings would probably be considered socialist by many of my cohort you here in eastern washington pinko hippie i Tommy. know i'm just the worst so anyways we we just really liked alliteration but this is generally a podcast about really whatever we wanted to talk about um mostly to do planning on it anyways mostly to do with uh current social political and economic issues as you heard in the lead-in um and so tonight we are going to be talking about cancel culture and specifically uh griff brought this up sent us a text message as we were planning to put this together uh there's a really recent incident with gina carano carino carano carano i'm going to pronounce her last name so wrong so many times this episode i apologize in advance please don't punch me in the face that would be worthy of canceling actually like physically assaulting someone cancel worthy I would argue yes. I would also argue the inference. That's what the Boston ring is for, though. Aha. Uh, so, context. Outside. Ah, context ah. is 
everything. Context, Context is, is everything. The other thing we'll be sampling this season, and this will change every season, is a lovely scotch. This season scotch is Ainsley Bray. Uh, I believe it's a smaller, or at least newer, company. I'm not sure to be familiar with them. It's a single malt uh, from Aberdeen, Scotland. It's delightful. We'll talk about it a little bit later at the end of the episode. Stick around. Always drink and listen responsibly. And for those who don't know, Gina Carano's in uh, The Mandalorian. She's also in Deadpool. She's mm-hmm. kind of, oh, she was in Deadpool. She was in Deadpool. She was one of the bad guys in Deadpool. Yeah. Kind of a minor actress. Mm-hmm. I think she's kind of, she know, was a former MMA fighter. I guess we yeah, could, we she could was quickly in, uh, read her martial bio. arts. Uh, Just a little bit. What do we have? Yeah, um, she competed in the Elite XC and Strike Force from 2006 to th- 2009. Uh, she completed a seven to one record. I mean, it's it's some pretty impressive stuff. Um, she was actually called the face of women's MMA, although she rejected the title. I guess we could go into mm, taking that a look at that later. Episode. That's, that's an interesting, <laughs> but an, an, an interesting thing. And so. Um, but yes, she was, her most prominent role, arguably, lately, has been in The Mandalorian. Right. And um, for those who are who are listening and haven't, uh, or don't know a whole lot about what's been going on, Gina Carino was fired from Disney+, Plus, or at least from The Mandalorian. I don't know exactly how that sort of employment works. Mm-hmm. Um, for posting something, um, and I should pull up the, the actual quote, but effectively comparing being conservative in today's age with being a Jew during the Holocaust. Right. The thing is, I don't, I don't think that was the only offense. And I know that's not a great term to use here, but we can use it in like, you know, sports reference, you know, you call a foul on somebody, whatever. I don't think that's the only thing that the cancelers were really highlighting as far as this cancelee whatever we want to say, the canceled goes. Um, Because from what I've read, and I'm referencing a Vox article here from, oh gosh, I don't know what the date is on it. It's early February, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, February 12th, and we'll post the link in in the description for the podcast. Basically, this was not the only thing that she had tweeted or said or posted. And I think that kind of plays into this, this, you know, into her being quote unquote, canceled um she had said some other you know some other pretty controversial statements about the election about fraud about this and that and i read some of the tweets because they are featured in the uh, box article itself they're really not that inflammatory i mean no more inflammatory than you know some of the more kind of i don't even want to say far right but even more you know slightly right of center right commentators you would see um I think it's the seriality of them and that there was a series of them. It's not the only one she did, kind of like Roseanne. Mm. And and as far as I know, Roseanne Barr was kind of the impetus or the kind of origin for all this canceling. And for anybody who has a different thought, definitely let us know. But, you know, as as you probably remember, Roseanne had some pretty racist, pretty egregious tweets back a year or two ago and was effectively written out of all of her contracts and everything like that so i think part of what plays into someone being canceled is not only the you know kind of impact of what they're saying but also the duration for how long they've been saying it like oh this person's been tweeting nonsense and crap for a long time okay you know i don't want to say it justifies cancellation but 
comparing that to someone who says one, you know, off color or, you know, tone deaf remark, you know, so I don't know, maybe it seems, maybe there's, maybe there's something to the, to the continued nature of them, uh, making these comments. Cause there are a handful of other conservative actors and, and artists mm-hmm. who don't, you know, who have not been canceled or have their stuff, you know, stripped from them, lost representation, all those types True. of things. I mean, there, there are some, um, really big names in, and, and the, the conservative, and I don't even necessarily want to say conservative in this moment, but the, the center right to the far right base is really kind of rallied behind some of these personalities like Tim Allen, um, who is a very vocal, um, conservative and has kind of espoused some of these things. So the, this sort of idea that, um, Hollywood is out to silence conservatives or whatever, or, or rather not just Hollywood, but the, the media in general. And so Cara, or excuse me, Gina Carino, I keep wanting to call her by the, the name of the character that she plays in the Mandalorian. Um, but she is definitely not the only person with conservative values. Now I'm not going to say that, that everybody with conservative values or everybody with, with more, progressive or liberal values all act the same way. No, 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 no. And I'm, I'm not necessarily comparing or saying that she is the um, the vanguard or whatever of of conservatism in, in media, but she's definitely one of the more prominent voices as of late. Well, she's also the only one who's gotten a movie deal with Ben Shapiro's excuse for a production company. <laughs> Daily Wire. Yes. Or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, I don't... I don't see Roseanne Barr getting that. So I don't know, I guess in this fever pitch post-election world we live in, <laughs> they need a poster child for uh, for for cancel culture making a comeback. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a fan of Ben Shapiro, but that's just me. Well, mm, I, I think it's a fair, to, fair assumption to say that the three of us in this room probably are not large fans of... Shapiro's work. <laughs> I don't know. Russ, have you seen anything from Bill nope. Shapiro? Oh, God. I, I live under a rock, but I'm <laughs> staying there. Oh, man. You know, it's some rough stuff. Like, you, like, Im- imagine taking the whole zeitgeist of the everything that's happened around the election and the claims of fraud and, and how people, and this is really kind of getting into potentially a different topic for a different episode, but how people feel whether or not this is a is a truly valid thing but feel this sense of oppression of of Mm. being canceled of of being silenced in the media of their voices and what they would say as the truth not being allowed within the media um and so he's he's one of the i hesitate to say avatar because that kind of puts a puts a really finer point on it, but he's definitely one of the bigger names of this sort of sort of movement that is reactionary. This quote-unquote pushback. Yeah, this and and they would say that it's a pushback, and whether or not it's what I would consider a a valid critique of current culture, um, it, it is certainly pushing back against things that have happened more recently. I mean, you look at culture, it's our American culture is tending to move a little bit more progressively. Yeah, I would agree. Well, it's true of any culture, however, right? We have swings. If, mm-hmm. if you look at uh, old European cultures, 
they've always swung forward, they've always swung back, and eventually the pendulum does rest somewhere. But there's always the overcorrection, and I feel like this is an overcorrection. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it seems excessive in most cases. And it's interesting that some people get targeted and some people don't, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that, yes, that's, that is the interesting point, because in that, in that same article from Vox, they mention a, uh, an actor who had fairly progressive viewpoints tweeted something and was canceled. I hate using that as a verb. The verb du jour. <laughs> anyway, was, was canceled pretty much on the spot. So I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if there was any, you know, backlash or response to that. But my bigger, my, I mean, my bigger question is what do these people hope to accomplish? You know, and I, and I say these people, I don't mean to, you know, make conservatives out to be the other. But when you have people like Ben Shapiro or other conservative commentators who really take issue with this idea of people being canceled, what, I mean, do they want recourse? Do they want reparations? Do they want something, you know, in exchange? Like, do they want these people to like get their representation or their, uh, their roles back? You know, what's the practical outcome of, you know, of the pushback they are perpetuating because i mean yeah good luck taking on disney ben shapiro sorry they own they own most of the media in this country um i don't know and because i feel like if there's no practical objective that they're trying to fulfill or outcome that they're shooting for i mean it's you know the, and these people are all just the same ones that would talk about this but it's you know it's kind of feeding outrage culture you know they're mm-hmm. just as outraged about you know this that and the other as mm-hmm. as they they make progressives out to be but. well and it's i i think it comes so so much down to this this concept that is invaded culture everywhere and i'm talking from the left to the right from the walls to the center um it's this idea that um i need to prove that i'm right yeah. And that um, because I'm right, often, it, and this may not even be, be in the conscious point, points of the argument, but often we argue from a place of because I am right, I am better, my way is better. And mm-hmm. that's it. And that's, that's where we leave it. And this is where, I'll, like, where I will often kind of get on my soapbox about whatever viewpoint you have um, and whatever viewpoint that I have. Like I, I fall into this trap so often myself is that am I more interested in showing people that I am right or am I more interested in um, in effectively changing changing hearts and minds like the the goals for those two things um, they're different different. and the ways that we approach them ultimately are different I mean speaking from my from my backing uh, background in the church we've had a huge problem with this for 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 many 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 years um, and I grew up with just kind of this sense of like, well, you know, I, I believe in the truth and if you don't, you're dumb, but mm. that's not, that's not so loving. Productive. That is not Christ-like. Right. Like, and I, and I am so incredibly blessed that, um, <laughs> I often speak of God's two by four of mercy and grace. I went to a public institution and oh, believe me, the pearl clutching that happened from the church. <laughs> You're going to a, co- a state college. They're going to teach you about atheism, and you're going to fall away from the faith. Well, I mean, okay, if you honestly believe that, we should have a different, different 
conversation on <laughs> education in general. Yes, we should. Um, Those of us who have taught and worked in higher education. Oh, yeah. But throughout all of that, like, I was really taken to task on the way that I operated around people and realizing, honestly, like, wow, I viewed people who are hurting and broken and who are probably actually more Christ-like than I am as just lesser. And that's not... That's not good. And so all this to come back to, like, outrage culture and cancel culture, um, I think so much of it tends to revolve around this idea of, like, I need to prove that I'm right. And I want to be around people, and I only want to be around people who share these sorts of opinions. And it, it kind of flows in both. Right. But at the same time, um, like, what is what is that, what does cancel culture have to do with with free speech because we've seen this outcry for um parlor is a great example mm. um parlor was kind of this this anti-facebook not anti-facebook anti is instead of not against contra facebook um contra facebook thank you uh our senior rhetor rhetorician 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 thank you um <laughs> uh and they they build themselves as this social media platform where nobody was going to be censured well isn't that 4chan um yeah <laughs> it's different right because 4chan while it doesn't do censoring it also has no accountability there's no verification there's no true there's, there's so it's, it's like reddit yeah I mean, it's not well i mean reddit has more powerful moderators I'm, true. I'm not super experienced with 4chan myself I'm not either you should spend some time in the, some some time in the dark side. I, I would rather <laughs> not. Terrifying. I don't want I, that in my browser uh, history. Uh, uh, no, nobody does. <laughs> oh, no. uh. um, I've heard that it is both at once better and worse than than what I'm imagining. Well, think about society, right? And this might be a little detractor from our current conversation, but society in general is not good. Mm-hmm. Most people, and I, I, I hate to say this, most people in humanity don't think about their neighbors. They don't think about the well-being of others. They think about themselves. Right. And that can be applied in many ways, not necessarily just like I take from you or I want to hurt you, but also the fact that I don't care about you. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that like in the, the general sense of taking care of, but just the fact that you exist is not important. It's not, a mm-hmm. it's not necessarily it's not a, a, yeah, and it's not necessarily like an active, like oftentimes when we say I don't care about you, it's very like, it feels belligerent. I hate yeah. you. Right. Yeah. Oftentimes, you don't exist in my world. Yeah, it's it, it, but it's but it's not. It's completely yeah. benign as far as that's mm-hmm. concerned. It's just the fact that you can do whatever, and that's where 4chan I think is a very interesting thing. It provides a platform for people to be themselves without the repercussions, without attachment, without. I mean, judge all you want doesn't matter. They don't know who you are, uh, and that's why you've got some very questionable content mm-hmm. that comes out of 4chan. Um, it's also where you come up with some really weird social experiments that exist in the world. Oh, yeah. Um, the most recent, obviously, uh, GME stock explosion mm-hmm. slash decline yeah. uh, has roots in 4chan. Um, it also has roots in Reddit, obviously. Uh, but it was, I wouldn't say it was started like most stuff. At least I don't think it was. It very well, very well could have. But I feel like 4chan has a very interesting incubation location for mm-hmm. ideas, concepts, social experiments, and other stuff like that. And they get unleashed on the world arbitrarily <laughs> when they, they gain enough mass, yeah. right? Um, I mean, this, the, it, it grows up and it's like, oh, it's, it's so cute. So it's you're so... saying the 4chan is the perfect social laboratory to grow just hordes of 
social Frankenstein monsters that uh, occasionally just run rampant in the village. Given absolute freedom, people tend to not do good things. Now, that Ooh, could be... That's re- extremely interesting that, that we that, could use these as microcosms for a broader societal thesis. This could be because of repression of mm-hmm. our, our baser instincts, right? Like, if I'm told to be good the entire time, all I want to do is not something good. However... And society holds us to that, right? Society generally will hold us to a higher standard than what we'd like to be kept at. Um, some people choose to retreat from society because of that. Some people find their niche. Um, some people wander up to 4chan and, and do their own little thing. Uh, but I feel like that's that's part of it, right? It's Some of it's repression. Some of it is, mm-hmm. I'm just a terrible person and this is what I want to do. And I want to see, one, reactions. That's obviously a thing. It's a platform. Right. You know, I'm going to do this questionable thing and see what kind of responses I can get because there's there's no harm to me by doing it, uh, but I also feel people push it in that regard as well. Right. You know. Oh, sure. Whereas I could get away with saying you know horrible string of curse words in the real world, people might look at me mm-hmm. and I would get a reaction. I can post anything here, but you've also got that side of it where people are, I don't want to call it desensitized, but effectively that's what it is. Is they've already seen the horrible things of the world. Because they're on this particular platform. Right. And people, I feel, always try for shock value. Um, not only is it entertainment, but it's also, I don't know, I, I think we all get a little bit of pleasure out of the discomfort of others. Yeah, yeah, the shot and fright. I don't even know if it's, I don't even know if it's so much that, because I feel like that's a particular flavor of just attention. You know, like how, how often do we hear or see or even enact these behaviors online that, are kind of driven by, you know, acknowledge positive or at least some sort of acknowledgement from the community. I mean, upvotes on Reddit, likes on Facebook, Instagram, things like that. You know, so we're driven by this currency of, you know, digital approval from our anonymous peers, which is it's a Pandora's box of a sociological <laughs> experiment there. Um, but we're kind of driven by this, you know, this economy. And you I guess you could kind of see what's happening to bring it back to cancel culture a little bit is, you know, someone basically being excluded from this economy of digital social acceptance because there is no real, you know, authoritative governing body. There is no statute of limitations or no kind of constitutional framework that regulates, you know, social media there are terms of service and terms of use that no one reads. Um, and then that can kind of get into the whole notion of free speech, but you, we have these people who are being very publicly kicked out of this economy of social presence and they have defenders, you know, maybe to want, maybe they want to get them back in this economy of social presence. Maybe they want to, you know, bring them into their own economy, their own niche economy, you know, or whatever their objective is. I don't know. Well, it's interesting, too, because you have these, let's call them social economies, because I kind of like that word. Um, most people, non, non-celebrity non status, non-large, right. like large, I don't know. Non-public figures. Yeah. Um, they are generally in, in a more public eye, right? They're more public figures. Geraldine down the road doesn't really have more than 150 subscribers to right. her Facebook or whatever. And... Yeah, she's striving to get likes from her 150 people in her little monkey sphere. And that's, if you if you grow that to the size of the public figure, you, you are looking at a, almost a global um, 
user base, right? Right. And it's interesting because it's that global user base that dictates what's acceptable and what's not. It, it, it doesn't really apply to the companies themselves. So the, the whole, like, uh, Gina thing, yes, she was, she was fired from the show, and, and the outrage from that has triggered, you know, repercussions for Disney. I'm sure there's going to be some issues. People are going to cancel their, their Disney Plus. They're going to move to HBO Max. They're going to do whatever. Hashtag not sponsored. Uh, yet. Yet. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things where it's a public stage. And it's the internet has provided us this public stage. And it's very interesting because any decision made, whether good, bad, or not, like the, the indecision of Disney, if they had done nothing, there would have been another entire encampment of people who would have called them out for that. So That's true. That's very true. There's I mean, going to be backlash anywhere. To to borrow a phrase, um, you really can't win. No. Uh, it, it, as one of these giant corporate entities generating massive amounts of money for, for their well, shareholders, they're, you they're really already can't winning. win. <laughs> <laughs> Not like but, Disney doesn't control the two um, most successful franchises ever. Right. But to so kind of... Get so back, far. yeah. To kind of get back um, to more towards our topic, like you have these these platforms like 4chan, um, which has its own kind of self moderation, more or less. It is definitely the wild west of. Well, you stay out of the places you don't want to learn about, right? Pretty much, but even within those those um, the boards, I think is what they're called. I don't know. I don't know. And it's suddenly we've from... lost all credibility with tech people. Uh, <laughs> it was like 4chan has been around for a long time, like not long after the BBC's kind of. Well, it came from the BBC. It did, yeah. BBS. So or BBS, BBC. Yeah, BBC is, BBC is the, <laughs> British the British broadcasting, broadcasting company. company. And they've been around forever too. Those they have score been. at home. Um, and so, but you have you have those, and then you also have um, it, those. It's such a massive amount of, of different views and et cetera, and it's um, those, those views are somewhat decentralized. But then you also have Parler, which kind of became this sort of bastion of, <laughs> uh, shall we say, conservative center right right um, conversation. Uh, and while this platform doesn't, as far as I know, censor anybody. I haven't been on it personally. I don't want um, that on my search history. <laughs> um, it did certainly grow in its own sort of following. And it's, you know, like-minded people tend to travel together. Absolutely. Well, it really exploded after all the, the January 6th of the Capitol. Oh, because absolutely. Because so many people, including their former president, were booted from their more quote-unquote mainstream mm-hmm. Social media. Well, they lost their stage profiles. They yeah, did, yeah. and they so were, they, were, they were again canceled. Sort of cancel mm. culture, and so they moved over to Parlor. Well, lo and behold, after I believe it was after the insurrection at the Capitol, right? Um, Parlor. They were being hosted on Amazon Web Services. Uh, Amazon Web Services has a terms of service which mm-hmm. they say Parlor va- violated. Now, whether or not they did, that's a question for somebody else who actually it's a question for these, the lawyers that reads these things, yes i mean i bring it fully forward. stand as somebody who pretty much clicks through all the terms of services i'm like mm-hmm. yeah i'm probably selling my soul my children's soul and, and at my least pets. one kidney yep um to jeff bezos probably all to jeff bezos that's how he makes his money by selling all of the organs i should probably cut that out of the podcast because then we might get canceled <laughs> Um, and so they, like, AWS drops them, and there was this huge outcry again, like, 
oh, it's it's government censorship, uh, which is what a lot of people said. Of course, that's more on the conspiracy side. AWS is not bold into the U.S. government. I would quite the say. opposite in some cases. Pretty much, <laughs> and so, but I mean, like any anybody can run a a web server and a website with a very minor amount of hardware. I could set one up for about thirty bucks, um, including the hardware. Like it's it wouldn't be a fast website. But you can certainly do it. And so, like, to say that that is censorship, I I mean, it it, to me is factually wrong. The government nor any other governing entity is not saying you can't have Parler or Parler cannot operate. AWS just said you violated our terms of service, and so we're not going to host you anymore, which, I mean, arguably I could say is a very conservative move because that to me just screams capitalism. I mean, the, the state didn't step in and say, oh, you can't do that. And so, well, see, that's the funny thing, isn't it? Is that you've got all of all of this all of this quote unquote cancel culture stuff, whether it's Parler being booted from AWS or, you know, vocal conservatives being booted from social media platforms. Um, it's, I mean, is it is it really censorship? You know, I mean, do we want to define censorship in a legalistic point of view, where it's the First Amendment and things like that? Um, I don't know, is it big C versus little C censorship? Um, but to kind of bring it back to what I was trying to make before the scotch kicked in. Sorry, this is wonderful scotch, by the way. Isn't it delightful? It's Ainsley Bray for those at home, mm-hmm. aged in oak barrels. Oak barrels. We'll get and more we'll into that later. We'll talk more about that either later or before. I haven't decided where we're going to put this. I'll have to put podcast. it later now that you've said it. Well, yep, there we go. <laughs> um, you've got all these You got all these corporations, these these publicly traded or i guess you could say private corporations kind of a misnomer there um just doing what they want to do more or less you know no one is being physically harmed no one is you know having their livelihood stripped from them well maybe um by and large the government's kind of stayed out of it you know and it is it is kind of interesting i'm biased of course being a progressive uh, it is kind of interesting that so many who are crying foul about this would ostensibly um, be ardent supporters of small government, you know, capitalistic interactions, I guess you'd say. So, I don't know, pot, kettle, black, eh, you decide. I mean, I guess. And um, we we often treat cancel culture as a either as the liberals tend to be canceling people or the conservatives are trying to guard against cancel culture, which I also think is, is kind of a funny thing. It, it speaks largely in part due to, or to our short-term memory as a culture. Um, there's a, a great article that uh, one of my favorite authors, Jonathan Merritt, wrote. Um, he writes for The Atlantic, has a few books out there. Um, if you, Especially if you are a person of faith and you are trying to figure out how to deal with politics in this crazy world... I can get into a whole whole thing on that potentially in a later podcast when we actually delve into like real real politics. Oh boy, um, we might need some more scotch for that. Yeah, um, uh, like, highly recommend reading him. If I ever get the chance to have coffee with him someday, I hope I do. But I'll probably just fangirl out the whole time. Um, but he wrote a great article, kind of talking about how 
you know, cancel culture seems to be this relatively new thing. And in large ways, it kind of is with the the advent of big platforms like social media, the right. internet in general, like how much of our consumption of not just media, but information. And I hesitate to call it information because it's, it's difficult to kind of piece together and to know what's truth. And so maybe we should just say data instead uh, comes from this not really one source, but kind of one source. Um, the internet has large social media platforms all over the place and different websites, but you know, nine times out of 10, the first time I hear about something, it's going to be on uh, Reddit, Facebook, Twitter. Did I miss anything? Like those are the top three that I probably hear about things first. Mm -hmm. And then I actually have to go out and do the legwork to do research. Cause like right. on any of those platforms, everybody has their bias on any of the news platforms. no matter how much we want to say that these platforms are, are quite good at it. Like there is going to be some sort of inherent bias. Right. And well, so it's not necessarily with the facts themselves, but generally it's, it's how they portray them. Right. True. Yeah. 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 What's, what's said and what's more important is what's left unsaid. Mm -hmm. uh, but Jonathan Merritt makes a really good point in that um, the evangelical church kind of invented cancel culture. You know, <laughs> you talk about like, like, and this is, this is coming from somebody who had, who is very, very, very steeped in the church. Like, he's not just making this off the cuff, like, you know, hippy dippy liberal thing, like, go look him up. But, um, throughout, especially the 80s and 90s, but also through, like, beginning kind of in the 60s, there was this huge movement of, like, you gotta cut out, like, destroy all your records and your CDs mm -hmm. and, and some book burnings. Burning Beatles records. Oh my gosh. Yep. The amount of just money that was lost in, in burning those. Like if somebody had actually held on to them. Oh man. It's like, but like selling your Apple stock right before they hit a bag <laughs> almost. Well, not quite that much, but, <laughs> um, cancel culture has been around for a long time. And I would, I would not be surprised if it was, um, going throughout culture and it, probably has i haven't done great research well, from well before all of that i think what you start to see especially with the advent of social media and its meteoric rise to prominence is and it, it's really cast it really kind of casts in an interesting light the parallels between public speech as it relates to a body politic and public speech as it relates to how it's executed on a corporate platform basically because that's what that's what social media outlets are they're corporate platforms whether or not we like to say that well, anyway the soapbox doesn't work anymore the soapbox doesn't have the attention span nor the, the the breadth of audience well i think i mean i think that's true to an extent what i was what i'm getting at though is we've had the first amendment of the constitution to guarantee our freedom of speech since the 1700s but i think a lot of people are in probably the past five or six years, hopefully have come around to acknowledging the fact that that only protects you against state repercussions, does not protect you against a corporation booting you from their platform. Mm -hmm. Just want to put that out there. But because social media is, you know, comparatively kind of a wild west scenario, or at least a, let's just say differently, more abstractly governed scenario than, you know, an interaction between a citizen and the federal government, you know, we there is no First Amendment of social media, and except maybe you know, is your post socially acceptable? Well, that gets tricky when the winds of social change change all the time. 
And so, I don't know, maybe there are these, you know, semi-organic structures that are kind of growing up around social media as a body that is acting in a way to constrain its users or liberate its users, whatever you want to say, much in the way that the Constitution constrains us from freedom of speech in one way, but also liberates us from freedom of speech in another way. The other thing, too, is that you can't ignore the fact that speech has consequences, whether it's you know a consequence from the state or a consequence from the public or the corporate. And I think we, as a culture, have honestly kind of gotten used to a lack of consequence for mm-hmm. a long time. Like these Internet platforms, social media or, you know, all the way back to the BBS age, um, gave us this sort of anonymity. Yeah. Um, especially back before social media made it really big. I mean, you had MySpace as being kind of the first really, really major one. There were a few kind of before that. Friendster, I think, was a thing at one point. Um, and But now, I mean, of course, growing into, honestly, primarily Facebook, at least as far as we're talking about being able to identify what somebody or who somebody is and what they're saying. Um, but even even before probably the current couple last couple of years i guess um there's been this sort of anonymity and we'll often talk about that like um i think russ you mentioned towards the beginning of the podcast where you know you could say something in in real life like swear a whole bunch or whatever um and as long as you're probably not at work uh you you get some nasty looks you get some side eyes and maybe get asked to leave if you're in the middle of like a, a group of small children um, but that's that's about it, where like you could say stuff so much more egregious online, even with your name kind of behind it, and there's still that wall of anonymity, partly because um, you're not seeing the people in front of you. And so it's easier to say something, and it's potentially easier to not get as worked up over these things. But we've we've kind of come back on that as a society where more and more of our presence is spent online. Um, I should yeah. throw up some statistics on like how off, how long the average person spends on Facebook. Oh God, I'd rather not. Um, <laughs> that sounds I, like a I depressing mean, I, statistic. I don't know. It is. It is. Um, and I don't have uh, uh, like screen time turned on my phone, probably mm. partly because of that. <laughs> Although I should. Um, or or on on less identifying sites like even even twitter it's easy to set up a, an account that's you know a caricature or right. reddit or 4chan or um whatever else i mean parlor as far as i know i should really log on to parlor just to see what's going on uh, but like you have a, yeah you have your name associated with you they have verified that you are a person who exists somewhere within the world by a government id um well what's the purpose Right, and that's the interesting thing. Like when you get into the old school Facebook and stuff, where you could create an account for yourself, your dog, mm-hmm. your your grandmother, whatever. Um, the verification thing came about because people wanted to be verified. Yeah, they wanted to say, "Well, no, this is me, and I want people to know that it's me." And they 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 effectively have cast aside that that veil. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the rest of the world is more than happy being like, "No, no, I'm you know, I'm Slothman one forty four. Yeah. Which the rest of the world is dwindling in population. Oh, absolutely. Um, But because of that that sort of authentication, I guess, to use the non-technical form of the word, um, 
we're we're seeing less and less of that ability to just say whatever the hell I want. And well, it's tied to you. Repercussions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. tied to me. It's um, it's tied to me within like my my physical social circles. Like all of my family is on Facebook. All of my friends, for by and large, are on Facebook, and that anonymity is effectively gone. And because not just because of that, but because we spend so much of our time online, whether it's on social media directly, whether it's commerce, we're shopping on Amazon all the time. Um, uh, whether we, a lot of our businesses are conducted online, or at least our companies, like I work for a pretty large company, um, we have an online presence. And if I were to say something potentially like what Gina Carino, Carino, Carano, 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 Sorry, Gina, I did not mean to butcher your name. I really do apologize. We're don't, right eventually. don't come yeah. kick his ass. Please don't. I am I watch. sadly weak. Um, but <laughs> weak and pathetic. Um, like, if I had said something like that or something that could get my company in trouble, not necessarily even that my company didn't agree with that, um, then I that looks bad on the company, and I would probably find myself in at least if I wasn't completely fired from the company, I would not be in great standing with the company. Um, and so we we've lost the anonymity. Personally, I think it's a good thing because people are starting to realize just how awful they had been, or at least are seeing the consequences of that. And so. Um, I, I, for one, am kind of thankful in a way for cancel culture, just because it's at least creating some sorts of of consequence for some of the things that I find very, very difficult. Speaking as a person of faith, speaking as somebody who's grown up in the church and still is very much faithful, even though I'm having my own struggles with that right now, like, I'm starting to see people realize that there is consequences for what we say and that that leads to the door sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes for a change in mind and a change in idea and starting to see like what I say actually does affect people and how it affects people. Um, Not to say all cancel culture is good, not to even really properly define what is and isn't cancel culture because that's that's a huge topic in and of itself but it's we're starting to see accountability come back and it's kind of biting a lot of people who would like to say that they're the most accountable party of law and more order my very flat white ass um <laughs> and and they're like we're actually seeing these things happen and and people don't like it of course not i don't like it when i'm being held accountable for something stupid i said but it's starting to be there. Whether or not this turns out to be a completely good thing, I mean, only the historians will be able to tell us a hundred years down the road, assuming we're not all, you know, drowned as a species. What I find really interesting about the online presence and, and the anonymousness of it all is that when the internet first came about, it was very anonymous, right? No one, mm-hmm. no one knew how to even verify people, let alone if you could verify. Um, it's very interesting to, to note that if I were to go walk down the street to Whole Foods and, and start causing a ruckus in their produce section, I would be very kindly asked to leave, you know, for whatever reason, right? It's their storefront. They have their dictation about what can happen inside of it. And I could be asked to be, be removed, and forcibly so, if, if they choose. Right. 
Um, I feel the internet has actually caught up to that now, where you are now on a social platform that is effectively the deli aisle in Whole Foods. You can say whatever you want <laughs> until they ask you to leave. Mm-hmm. And now that you're verified, they know who you are. Yep. And there are now repercussions of such. And I mean, not I think even there's like older... severe repercussions in general. No. I mean, you, obviously, Gina Carano. Um, Just say Gina. Just leave it at Gina. Well, Gina C. Gina C. Gina C. No, um, we can't do that. Gina, again, I apologize, Miss Carano, Carano, Carano. You're just. You're just I'm gonna no. hit all of them. You know she's what? She's gonna hit you. She's probably gonna punch me in the face. Not because she's a bad person, just because I'm deserve not it. great at just pronouncing names and kind of deserve it. Get to the point. Um, <laughs> but like, aside from these semi-major uh, events where people have lost their jobs over things that they have said online this this the consequence of cancel culture and i could talk about a few more that have been quite big um are relatively minute you're often i would argue that the the perceived consequences of cancel culture aren't really all that bad in the long term like off we see cancel culture as like oh they're shutting me down well they're kind of just saying that you know what we don't really care to hear what you're talking about and we're showing you the door. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's interesting to think that there's this, oh my gosh, it's such an outrage that certain people are being kicked off social media, that are being kicked out of their social circles or whatever, right? But the question is, you know, as you brought up the example previously, if you were to say something online that your company didn't approve of, they are well within their rights to remove you mm-hmm. from their company because they no longer want to be associated with you. Um, yeah. And what's the difference between that online and that in the real world? If they found that you were doing something in the real world that you are still held accountable for, it still has your name attached to it. Yep. It's just they can verify that it's you by looking at going, oh, that's that's you. Drug test, etc. Whatever, right? Really, I think that it's the internet platform, the, the online platform, is simply caught up to the real world. Mm-hmm. It's it's now you, you, you can't say things you shouldn't online. Yep. And you're being held accountable. And I, th- I think people are very surprised by this. Uh, which they shouldn't be. But those of us who live in the real world and feel that they, you know, don't have carte blanche to say whatever they'd like whenever they want because of our social circles, our business associations, our professionalism. And it's not to say that these people are not any of those things or, mm-hmm. you know, their associations are incorrect. But you can't just say whatever you want. That the, that time is gone. If you want yes. to do that, you you got to go on 4chan because it's the only place you're going to be able to say it yeah. because you're or not... Or potentially parlor. Or parlor. Wherever you're not verified, mm-hmm. wherever you can still do it anonymously. Because if you're anonymous, it doesn't matter what you say. But if you're not anonymous, you're bound by the same social constructs that you would anywhere else in the world. Right. Even if you're not a overly public figure. Oh, doesn't like matter. one of us, I mean, I mean, I'm on Facebook. I have like, I don't know, 400 friends or something. It's not a lot. Good for you, man. I Comparatively, that I had 900 friends. How the hell did that happen? You're a popular guy. It's because you don't exist on Facebook. The point <laughs> I'm making is that the bigger you are as a social presence, the more popular you are, the more scrutiny you will inevitably face. Because as... We have more eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As impermanent as the internet is... Uh, the bigger the audience you speak to, the more permanent your content becomes. You know, so if I say something crazy on Twitter, oh, like eight people might like it, one person might retweet it, and the next thing comes along and bumps it down the algorithm channel. If a popular person, someone with thousands and thousands of followers, maybe a million followers, 
says something crazy, that's a much wider audience that one can consume that content, two could be affected by it, and three could spread it more. So I think that there there are companies with popularity a modicum of scrutiny, and that shouldn't be surprising. You know, I mean, well, it shouldn't be. No, well, and that's I think that's kind of the thing that's that we're all kind of drilling at is there's this outrage from some commentators, some voices that popular people can't say whatever they want on social media without facing repercussions. Well, that should be as yes. plain as the no on as plain as the nose on your face. Yes. You know, well, your your First Amendment right does not have anything to do with Twitter's terms of service. And because they are a private company, they can do whatever the hell they want. God bless capitalism. Yeah. What's his name? Dorsey? Patrick Dorsey? CEO of Twitter? Jack something? I don't know. Mark Zuckerberg, we'll shift gears. (laughs) Mark Zuckerberg could turn off Facebook tomorrow if he wanted to. He won't. He he could well within his rights to do so because it is his product. Uh, I think his name's Jack Dorsey. Look it up. Research man. Who's who's the CEO of Twitter? Anyway, can do the same thing. You know, these are private entities that exist for public consumption. Does not mean that the public controls them. It does not mean that the public gets to vote on who represents them in the Twitter boardroom. You know, unless they're shareholders. So it is Jack Dorsey. Okay, good. Thank you. I don't have Twitter. Jokes on you. Um, but our podcast does. <laughs> our podcast does. Uh, there are, I mean, there are going to be repercussions. End of story. Now, is it comparable to, you know, causing a scene at a, at a very public place? No, I don't think, I don't, and not, not to shoot you down, Russ, but I think that there is a difference between, you know, causing a scene at the produce aisle. Jake, I know you've done it. And, you know. God damn it, these kumquats are not ripe. <laughs> Where is your there? <laughs> Oh, that's full on Karen mode. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Kevin? Anyway, Kevin? Kevin, the male Kevin. Karen. Kevin is the male. No, my dad's name is Kevin. I'm sorry. And he's Derek? definitely not a kid. It's a stereotype Bruce. for a reason. Moving on. Bruce. Anyway, Bruce, that's Australian. The point being is that there is a scope of impact that your actions are going to have. Now, Comparing making a scene in Whole Foods to making a scene on Twitter, there will be different impacts that people feel, and I, I think that's... I don't I don't think there will. If I went to Whole Foods and made a scene in the protocile versus my Twitter account, it's going to be equivalent. Your scene in Whole Foods, though, hypothetically, hypothetically. could escalate though to the point sure. of an actual, you know, quote unquote event banning from the store. Sure, but my Twitter could have the same effect. If I were to cause an outrage on Twitter, they would be full within their rights to ban my account. If you cause an outrage in a public place, that raises all types of questions of liability for personal property and public safety, though. Nobody's material goods are being threatened by someone, you know... Careful. ...being on Twitter. You sure. you, you, you cannot do... And this, is, just... this, is, this is taking it out of the nuts and bolts. You cannot do physical damage to Twitter... By saying being conservatives like being a Jew during the Holocaust. That, True. No. But you can you can do to... physical damage flipping tables in the produce aisle. Sure, sure. And we're not necessarily talking physical though. That's okay. That's true. If we want to rule. I mean, realistically, we're, we're talking about the repercussions based on the company image, mm-hmm. uh, the bystanders, you know, experience, 
in on the platform or in the area, right? Well, I think part of it though is that making a scene in a public place, you know, for, devoid of any real reason, is is objectively bad, right? Making a public scene on Twitter is but, objectively bad. But it, but depend. I think I think it depends on. If we're judging by objectivity, I think it depends on, you know, obviously who the judge and jury are. If we want to go down that road, you know, the there are there are more people there. Are, I would wait. I would wager there are more people who would agree with Gina Carano's tweets than there are who would agree with somebody making a scene at Whole Foods. I think sure. that's, I think that's, no, but see, we say sure, but I think that's where it really, we put wheels on this is that one is somebody's opinion, ill-informed, tone deaf, though it may be. The other is a whole different animal. Well, let's, let's take it away from being a whole different animal then. Okay. Let's assume that Gina stood in Whole Foods and screamed this at the top of her lungs and everyone in the store heard it. How's that different? Because Whole Foods is not a public forum. Twitter is sorry. Twitter is example. No, no, no. I didn't, but, no. But, but, but within the real world, let's let's find a stage, something that does have that public reach, right? So, so if they're on a street corner, sure. Or I mean, those guys exist, right? Uh, they do. And, and would they be banned from Twitter? I guess would be the interesting question there. Uh, I think the answer would be yes. Interestingly <laughs> enough, if they're depends saying, on what they're saying. Yeah. But it's public space versus non-public space, which is what I, I think would be very interesting to look at. Sure. Because you can have the, the crazy guy on the corner. As long as he's not hurting anybody, he That's can true. say whatever he wants all day long. He can By and large. He can I mean, scream in the air. There are certain the restrictions. Yes. People might call the cops on you, but yes. But you can't do that on, on a corporate forum. You can't do that on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Because Twitter, unlike the public street corner, has a set of rules. Has a set of terms of use. Hmm. The street corner does have rules as well. There is a point where you would get into actually harassing someone yes. or verbally assaulting someone. And yes. that would carry legal repercussions. That's where your First Amendment stops. Yeah, but I think like that's uh, I think it's more accurate, I suppose, to say that Twitter does have a more restrictive set of rules. Restrictive in the non-connotative sense. Is it that Twitter has a more restrictive set of rules or that Twitter's users have created their own set of rules? Yes. Well, both apply, right? The, the, the court of public opinion is always a thing. Yeah. And it just depends on the reach that you have. The, yeah. the street corner is limited in that regard. But Twitter is not in the mm. most regard. Now, if, if I post something on Twitter, my little group of followers is probably the equivalent of the, the street corner for me screaming, because no one's going to notice it for the most part. Right. And if I say something questionable, the five people that read it, they don't care. Exactly. Right. Now, I, I mean, it's I guess we're kind of circling, or maybe in my brain, I guess we're circling towards something that's a little bit interesting, because, um, you know, talking about the, the court of public opinion and Twitter doing these sorts of things, like, um, the court of public opinion influences what Twitter does. Why does that happen? Well, because if the public, by and large, large group of the large population of Twitter users, of Facebook users, or whatever, don't get what they want, they will at very least leave the platform eventually. Mm. Well, what does that do to Twitter's uh, revenue? It drops. Same with Facebook. Same with everything else. So, public opinion affects these sorts of um, social media platforms because of their profitability. Now, we can also say that these platforms, especially Facebook, go watch The Social Dilemma, such a great documentary, 
terrifying for some people, I'm sure. Um, they're, they're saying, like, these platforms affect public opinion, and it's, I would argue, turning into a very vicious cycle, and we're going to have to deal with the repercussions of this as a society. But by and large, the public still, if we, if we are willing to take it, if we are willing to do something with it, good or bad, um, hold much more power over these corporations, over these social media platforms, than they do over us. And so, because public opinion, by and large, at least those who have subscribed to these platforms, is very much against what uh, Gina said, that's one of the reasons why Disney would have dropped her. Now, it's I, I would argue this is an interesting kind of uh, dichotomy because... You know, ultimately, Disney has been known to be a very, very conservative, certainly financially conservative, um, company. And so I would not be surprised if a lot of folks within the higher-ups or the higher rankings of Disney would at least say that they agree with her. Not publicly. Oh, no. Because they're not stupid no. enough. I mean, we can, t- we can, well, sep- we can divorce... You, you wouldn't say dumb things in a right. public... Yeah, exactly. We have we can divorce the the modality of what was said to from what was actually said and what the what the thoughts are behind it. And so, um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a sticky sticky um, subject. But I feel as we are kind of winding towards the end of this podcast, what are uh, y'all's general feelings on cancel culture? You like it? You hate it? Like parts of it, hate some of it. <laughs> I don't know. You can always say you like it when it's, you know. I, I don't necessarily think I agree with it or disagree with it. It is an inevitable end. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, it's, a, it's an end point that has to come to fruition at some point um, as the, the world catches up with the whole internet thing, right? I, I really do feel it is just the transposition of reality being in, superimposed on top of the, the internet as it stands today with a, the new platform that exists. Mm-hmm. There's always been a lag between technology and... And, you know, the catch-up of the rules, the laws, the regulations, the social constructs. And I think we're just seeing that it's finally catching up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think you're definitely right. Like, it's as most things um, that exist, (laughs) I would even say that, um, tangibly or otherwise, it's not necessarily a strictly good or strictly bad thing. It's a tool and could be used well and could be used and... I would argue often in this particular case used rather poorly if getting some decent results every now and then. Um, I will say, like like I said uh, about halfway through this podcast, I am thankful for at least some of the outcomes of cancel culture because it's starting to make some people realize that there are consequences. I'm happy with the accountability. Yes, I'm happy with the accountability. However, and again, this is kind of where my soapbox lies, is um, let's, let's take an example of just general general themes um racism horrible absolutely awful i i agree that we should combat it at every step but simply calling somebody a racist and stopping there isn't going to get something done call it out for what it is absolutely every time it's seen yes and i will never like unless you're trying to use that for some personal gain which whatever we can talk about that in in some other episode like call it out but if you want to see actual change you're going to have to put more effort into it. Absolutely. And the same happens with cancel culture. Absolutely. Well, in what way do you mean put more effort into it? Do you mean, like, frame that 
in a practical sense. Ooh, practical practicality is a little bit difficult. I mean, I don't. I wish there was a simple algebra for for changing people's don't minds. bring numbers into um, it. But it's you know what if you want if you want minds changed, you have to treat somebody as just as human as you are. Mm. Fair. It's almost like a define and educate mm-hmm. kind of moment. Exactly. I mean, it's kind of the big blowback that um, conservatives had, or not even conservatives, but the populists had with um, when Hillary Clinton was running back in 2016, the whole deplorables debacle. Um, and and rewatching it, I, I think that there was a lot of connotation that was kind of added onto it. Definitely what she said, again, kind of with what we're talking about with, with Gina, um, it was not a smart thing to say. I would argue, Uh, but it's for me, like just stopping there, it, there's so much that's left undone. And until like, if I want to see somebody, somebody's ideas and, and heart and mind start to shift, I have to see them first as, as human, not as the collection of whatever arguments that I'm perceiving, because I'm probably perceiving them incorrectly anyway. That's a beautiful thing. Perception is everything. Right? Oh, yeah. Perception is everything and nothing it, it, all at the same time. It, it, it makes nothing, you know, the, the world does not care what my intentions are. Nope. The world only cares what they believe my intentions mm-hmm. are. And, and I do the, the same to other people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so once I can, once I can start from a place of like, I am probably just as messed up as whoever I'm talking to. Probably, <laughs> ideally, probably just I kick our listeners in the teeth, Jake. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I might be getting a little bit more on the on the the, the spiritual bent again, but um, spirits, spiritual, you know. Yeah. Hey, hey, I am drinking some scotch right now. It's delightful. Um, Ainsley Bray. So, <laughs> hashtag not sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored, but maybe someday. Head is up. Um, but you know, if I if I take on the idea of like I am I am the worst of sinners to to pull a direct quote out of, out of the Bible and from St. Paul's writings, uh, that's where I can start from a place of like, all right, this thing that so and so did was clearly wrong, but I don't want to just prove that I'm right. I want to right. change things. Right. Well, and that's, that's where I think that cancel culture lie pulls it, so far short. It stops. It stops short, but. I'm trying to think how to say it. How, uh, what is its other option for recourse? I mean, are we going, are we going to have like, God forbid committees, you know, I mean, we can, we can call things out, but as a amorphous mass of people, aside from just calling them out and raising a fuss to counter that canceled individuals, you know, supposed fuss, I mean, we do kind of end up leaving it up to the uh, the enforcers of these terms of service, and I guess those are, that's your committee is the people who enforce social media platforms, terms of service agreements. You know, like oh, YouTube, yeah, for yeah. better, yeah, exactly. You know, you see YouTube saying, oh, well, you know, this video violated our terms of service. Well, we've given a lot of power over to these platforms to govern. You know what we do and don't get away with saying but the interesting thing is that part of that power uh still i think lies in the user's hands because if there's a video that's just kind of wild and out there you know maybe some conspiracy left or right doesn't matter 
but it doesn't get any traction. It doesn't get any attention. It doesn't rise to the top of YouTube's algorithm chart. And that's a horrible way to put it. I understand. <laughs> I apologize to all the data analysts out there. Um, you know, it, basically, if, if a video is inflammatory but doesn't get any traction, then it doesn't get any traction and it doesn't come up on their radar. It doesn't get scrutiny either. Right. And, and, yeah, I think that's the big thing is that these things only seem to be called out once they've gotten enough traction to really start jeopardizing, uh, you know, the attention span that these platforms thrive on. And that's really what they thrive on. They thrive on their users paying attention to the platform for as long as they can. And so if you get someone who's making inflammatory remarks or inflammatory videos, all of a sudden the, you know, quote unquote, more sensible users start to go away. And that looks bad for the bottom line for these companies. So then they're forced to call them out. Or cancel them. It is. It's very reactionary. And I don't want to say it's purely profit driven, but it kind of is. Everything. If you think about this way, if you go to a restaurant, it's been a nice place for, you know, the few years you've gone and they start, you know, maybe one or two people come in. They're loud. They're kind of annoying. Restaurant doesn't do anything. Well, now those people, those types know they can get away with that, that restaurant. So more of those people start to show up at that place. One of those types of people start to show up at that place. Next thing you know, the entire vibe of the restaurant has changed. And you've gone from LinkedIn to 4chan, you know. And I know. That's a terrible That's, that's a reductionist. Terrible <laughs> you get the point, though, is that in, the users of a platform can change the flavor and therefore the perception of that platform, which may prove uh, detrimental to the owners of that platform's viability platform 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 so i don't know i mean as much as i don't like to give you know giant faces corporations control somebody's got out of control or we wind up being you know the the depths of the uh the seedy underbelly of the internet maybe maybe that's a little catastrophe and this could be fabulous fodder for yet another episode um but there's there's different thoughts to that too. It's like, do you have these these large entities um, controlling, or not necessarily controlling, but that's what it would often feel like, guiding political discourse and theoretically standing up for the small guy or whatever. Um, but then, of course, people would take that and say, well, that's how you get 1984, mm. and the government controls everything. Um, versus the other opinion of like. Well, everything kind of needs to start from the bottom up, which is more on often what libertarians would argue from is like um, you know, no government oversight or very little government oversight. Right. No government oversight would arguably be anarchy, but mm. arguably, would be yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on the platform, I think. I I suppose. Suppose. But anyways, yeah. um, but like where where does that come from? And I would I would tend to argue, which is on the the few points that I tend to be much more conservative is that this type of cultural change, this type of cultural, um, I don't want to say policing, but just just dealing with these sorts of issues does ultimately have to come from the bottom up. Top down is just going to fracture us even more. Right. And this could be something we crack into on another episode. This will actually make a whole episode in and of itself is, you know, how, how do states... And I, I'm speaking of states in terms of countries here. How do states, nation states, govern something as nebulous as social media? I do not envy 
our policymakers that position. Yeah. You're not going to make any friends. I mean, that's they all. Also, doing. you know, haven't been making a great effort to understand these things. That's also true. But yet another Mr. Zuckerberg, I got an AOL desk in the mail. <laughs> Is that Facebook? Oh my gosh. On that note, <laughs> we should that, probably talk about scotch. Yes. So this is a podcast about um, general concepts of culture and uh, politics going on and in the economy and society and I whatever talk. else. It's great. Um, thank you, Griff, for saving me. So tonight we are, and for this season, we are tasting Ainsley Bray, and we are specifically tasting their... Highland Oak Scotch, and so it's a single malt from Aberdeen, Scotland, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, not a lot of peat, so if you like your scotches tasting like a tire fire, like I do, mm. uh, this is a little on the mild side. Drinks a little bit more like a whiskey or a bourbon. Still delightful. Still delightful. Very smooth. A little sweet on the back end, mm. I would say. Uh, I would agree. But don't actually take me for some sort of true whiskey connoisseur i just like whiskey in general and i think this is where we would transition and i'll probably cut this little yep. section out but i think this is where we would transition into a question about whiskey wait there's a question about whiskey is there i don't know awesome. we I, 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 think, I think leaving it organic would be fine there you go thanks everybody we'll be back whenever you click on the link for the next episode yep. uh as always i don't know why i'm saying as always because this is our our very first podcast the champagne bottle or the scotch bottle has been broken on the ship uh we are your hosts how dare you break a scotch bottle on a ship i know that would be just i will throw you off of that ship i hope that you, you can get garbage champagne garbage scotch two dollar bottle of brute brute brett Whatever. I no one know. cares. It all sounds Anyways, like we drunk. are your hosts. I am Jacob. I'm Griff. And I'm Russ. Thank you so much for listening. We will hopefully be back soon. Listen and drink responsibly, people. Have a good one. Bye.